Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. Twice a week, we'll discuss the products, technology, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous vehicles as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney turned entrepreneur, and I've spent the past eight years founding and running two startups. I attended UCLA, Go Bruins, where I spent nearly the entire first four years on a mostly engineering track before finally graduating with an econ degree in my fifth year. I've become a recognized expert in the autonomous vehicle space, and you can find me on all social media channels at Autonomous Hogue, and of course my website, markhogue.com. Today, Tuesday, the 19th of February, 2019, episode 83, we talk predictive vision for autonomous vehicles, the future of the insurance industry in an age of autonomous cars, and Volkswagen and Ford buddy up, maybe, to the tune of $4 billion, all this right now. Real quick before we dive in, next week, the 27th of February, marks the one-year anniversary of this show, and I thought it'd be pretty neat to do something a bit different. Specifically, I thought it was time for me to finally make my own video review of Tesla's Model 3 with Autopilot. Yes, I realize there's countless such videos on the interwebs, but I've never done one yet. And, well, so I put a question out there on Twitter. Uh, You can cast your vote over at Autonomous Hogue. Let me know whether you'd be interested in watching a video review by me of Tesla's Model 3 with Autopilot. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, so University of Michigan in the news again, uh, this time because they're making some pretty bold steps forward with respect to computer vision, in particular predictive trajectory mapping. Um, So to explain what this is, consider the following. It's one thing for an autonomous vehicle to see and understand the world around it and to understand and to correctly register the present location and indeed trajectory of other cars, people, dogs, you name it. Um, But it's another thing entirely to be able to anticipate what pedestrians say are going to do next. So this so-called prediction, as it were, right? It's a very tricky thing to get right. And when you think about it, It's something that we humans already do very, very well, albeit at a subconscious level. Although I have no experience on the matter whatsoever, I've certainly heard and I've read elsewhere that this is one of the ways in which professional fighters uh, operate. They are able to kind of read body language cues, again, the gait, the posture, the weight from one foot or the other to anticipate and predict where the next punch is going to fly and or the next kick you know from their opponent so this sort of predictive reading of people is again let's call it evolutionary biology it's something that's really built into us humans and of course not so much to autonomous cars well this is exactly what university of michigan is working on it's this notion that um 
the computer vision algorithms should be able to pick out really subtle body language cues from pedestrians to really understand not just what they're doing right now, but in fact, to predict what they're going to do. This is really crucially important, right? So for instance, the idea of this new system is it uses the LiDAR and stereo cameras to understand really their current body pose, their gait, so their kind of weight balance, if you will. They can then understand whether they're moving towards or, or maybe away from a car, if they're looking over a shoulder, maybe they're using a cane, um, whether they're looking at their cell phone, for example. And in this way, then, the car can make a more informed decision and, crucially, a future-looking decision. So not just based on what the pedestrian is doing right now at this moment, which is, you know, which is fine, and indeed it's necessary, but the point is that's not sufficient. The, the vehicle needs also to make a sort of anticipatory reading of the world around it. It needs to anticipate what's going to happen next. This then will give vehicles, autonomous vehicles, that sort of very nuanced, almost subconscious human sense towards understanding the world around them. This is really, really important stuff. So um, what's interesting about this, though, is uh, I was reminded of an answer to a question I had written on Quora. Um, You can find the question, uh, let's see, the question reads, what impact will the self-driving car killing the woman crossing the road have on machine learning. So this was, of course, back in, I guess, February or March of last year in response to the tragic accident between an Uber Volvo XC90 test vehicle and the pedestrian in Tempe, Arizona. I'm just going to read you what I had written here. This is actually before more kind of information had gotten out about what went wrong, which I can mention and discuss in a minute. But um, suffice to say, let me read you what I wrote here. This is this is very much on point. Um, what I wrote was, uh, well, basically I said, uh, I suggested that we'll see an improvement to predictive path mapping. I said, to explain what I'm on about, I get that the pedestrian jumped out of nowhere with poor illumination and that there was no time to react and stop before hitting her. What I don't get is why the Uber Volvo's sensors, right, radar and LIDAR, didn't detect her and analyze her velocity um, and the direction of motion and then anticipate her future path. Uh, so to put it more particularly, I guess, uh, you know, why, basically what I'm saying is why did the, why did that Volvo, the Uber Volvo, why did it not, you know, project her future vector as it will, both the velocity and direction, uh, and then anticipate accordingly. So I went on to say, you know, failing such anticipatory path mapping, or in addition, the car should be programmed simply to slow down when there's a reasonable likelihood a pedestrian could get in the way. After all, that's what we humans do too. So if we suspect or we sense in a sixth sense kind of way that a pedestrian is nearby and may come out of nowhere, we instinctively and intuitively slow down preemptively. This, I think, is what autonomous cars need to do. So that's what I wrote back in uh, March of 2018. As an aside, it turns out that the bigger issue really was that the the point cloud created by the LIDAR of the pedestrian, well, it was insufficiently detailed, or at least something was lacking, so that the car couldn't tell whether it was a pedestrian or whether it was some plastic bag floating in the wind, and therefore well, it thought it was just a, bla- a bag, and so it continued on forward, when of course it should have stopped. Well, the point is, is that indeed, uh, predictive path mapping... Uh, yeah, so I've said now for at least a year is a very, very important thing to get right. Um, because again, that's what we humans do. You know, just because we see somebody who looks like they're about to 
you know, for example, I don't know, stop walking uh, before crossing the road, we, well, those genuinely responsible drivers amongst us anyway, we will not, and in fact, continue unless and until we've made eye contact with the pedestrian. We really kind of get a reading for their body language as to whether they're actually going to stop or they may continue forward at the last moment. And I think really crucially, one of the most delicate points of pedestrian vehicle interaction is a pedestrian crossing a street where they kind of start to dawdle halfway across the street. And then you realize, oh, I think they're not going to continue sort of across the street, but rather they're going to stop suddenly and turn around and go back. This happens way more often than you'd realize. And it's the sort of thing which, again, we humans are just really good at subconsciously picking up on these really subtle body language cues. And of course, this then is what University of Michigan is trying to get right with autonomous vehicle camera vision. So really interesting stuff, this. Um, I will be sure to come back and share more with you as I get it. So we've talked quite a bit about the change in the insurance industry as autonomous vehicles start to roll out and become a thing in our everyday lives. Obviously, it's one thing entirely to consider the interim stage, level three and level four autonomous vehicles. But then the question becomes, what happens with level five? How can insurance ever place any sort of blame on the driver when obviously it's no longer a driver, it's merely a passenger because no steering wheel, no pedals, a level five car, fully autonomous, right? So what happens then? Well, I've discussed quite a bit in the past on this this podcast and elsewhere besides that I think obviously it requires little imagination to see that insurance companies are not going to die. No, they're just not. Rather, they're going to shift liability and indeed the actuarial data with respect to insurance premiums is going to move away from data based on human drivers and, of course, to the vehicles themselves. When I say vehicles, I mean the entire chain of components, suppliers, etc. So we've often discussed in the past analogy to aviation. Of course, one was the British Airways 777, which crashed at Heathrow, and eventually they were able to track the issue all the way back to, well, they tried to track the issue all the way back to contaminated fuel from the actual refinery itself. My point is it'll be the same thing with cars, where, in fact, uh, insurance claims will basically look at the entire uh, sort of the entire uh, vehicle itself, the manufacturer, its suppliers, and so on. Um, but there's a neat article over at Bloomberg, which suggests a few interesting hypotheticals. Um, the, the title of the article is, uh, self-driving cars might kill auto insurance as we know it. Um, and, and, and so the, the question here, which is posed is pretty, there's some great hypotheticals here, right? So for example, if the LIDAR goes on the blink, is that the car maker's fault or the supplier of the LIDAR? What if the driver failed to get the latest firmware update? Well, so now is it the driver's fault? You know, if Cadillac with Super Cruise loses its internet connection, is that on GM or Verizon and so on and so forth? So these are some really great hypotheticals. I mean, I can't wait till we start to see these things in law school, honestly. Uh, these, are, these, are, these are just really, really great questions. Um, why don't we have some fun and try to pick some of these apart just for kicks, right? Let's see. So the first one, if the LiDAR goes on the blink, if the LiDAR should fail, is that the car maker's fault or the supplier of the LiDAR? Well, of course, it depends. I mean, you're going to have to look at it. First, we have to make sure to see whether the car maker actually exercised the ordinary standard of care when installing it. You know, did the LiDAR fail because it was installed poorly? Whether the software was programmed poorly insofar as, you know, the, the car's main computer getting data and analyzing the data correctly from the LiDAR? Or was there, in fact, a physical or software issue with the LiDAR itself? I mean, it depends, right? Um This next hypothetical, I think, is especially fascinating. What if the driver failed to get the latest firmware update? That's interesting. Um, 
That's 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 a really cool question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, what I can say is this: I know that with Tesla vehicles, uh, as far as I know, anyway, the software updates are actually automatic, and this is why so often it's the case: you get in your car in the morning and it says, "Hey, uh, happy days! Your Tesla is now running the latest version of uh, you know your your Tesla." autopilot software and so on and so forth. So I think the easy solution is that software updates will eventually be mandated to be automatic. And so in that instance, then if the car doesn't for some reason update its software as it should have done, and if it's later shown that the failure to have updated the software is what led to a crash, um, yeah, well, I mean, then yeah, I think the burden will have to be on the, on the, car company itself to have pushed that software update. But again, we can run with this hypothetically even further, can't we? Because suppose the car company, let's say Tesla, did push the software updates correctly, but for some reason the network connection, say, between the car and whatever it connects to, AT&T, Verizon, etc., or maybe the home Wi-Fi, for that matter. Suppose that goes down. Well, then who's responsible? Well, again, I don't think this is really rocket science. Um, just like anything else in law, you kind of trace back, you see what was the uh, the actual cause, the proximate cause, and so on, and you kind of figure it out from there. And in this particular hypo, I'd say, okay, well, if the if Tesla pushed out the software update, but it didn't get to the car because of some failure with AT&T Verizon, then I think the burden mostly lies on Verizon. Um, until we get to that point, though, yeah, I think uh, maybe we'll eventually decide very quickly that if the human operator is responsible for installing the update, and if in fact they don't do so, that could be found to be a negligent course of action, or I should say a negligent lack of action. So this is really fun stuff. I mean, this just takes me right back to first year law school all over again. This is just tort law all over again. So really cool stuff, this. But but look, I mean, there's a lot of folks who say things like, oh, the insurance industry is going to implode. It's going to die. It's just going to go away entirely. That's just, that's just absurd. It's just Poppycock. It's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. In fact, in fact, in a funny sort of way, I could see the insurance industry kind of blowing up in a good way. Well, in a good way for the insurance industry. I could see them suddenly making much more money because now, rather than basing their premiums um, and pricing accordingly based on a supply, supply and demand market economic insofar as what humans can afford to purchase – I say humans, I mean, uh, you know, the individual car owners can afford to purchase. I think now their premiums are going to get a lot higher because now the, the price premiums will be based on the, the risk profiles, but also what the companies themselves are willing and able to pay. So, for example, instead of, say, I, I don't know, say a couple hundred dollars for someone to pay for insurance for, like, I don't know, a BMW or a Mercedes, um, okay, and that's based on certain risk profiles. Yeah. Well, now because the you know now the insurance premiums are going to be covered virtually entirely by the manufacturer itself. Say, um, well, now those those can be a lot higher. I'm as I say this out loud, I'm realizing something a little different. It might be the case that, huh? Yeah, I guess it might be the case that the human owner. Well, see, that's even a weird thing, isn't it? Because we've discussed in the past many times that the the idea of car ownership is going to go out the window too. So then it kind of becomes the question, well, if you don't own the car and if it's an autonomous car, will humans, will individual human owners have to own any insurance at all for the car? Um, uh, I, I don't think so. I, I need to think about this some more, but just off the top of my head, I'm not really seeing a situation where individual car owners that is, non-owners in a car-sharing world, I don't see why they would have to own insurance at all. Um, yeah. 
so so yeah, I think when you realize that insurance will be the burden of the insurance will be borne by the automakers themselves, then yeah, I think this could actually be a huge boost for insurance companies. They can make a lot more money. Um, yes, of course, the whole premise, the promise of autonomous cars is fewer accidents, surely. Okay, that's fine. And so I guess their payout will be, you know, far between, say, but it'll be much more. So, so yeah, I think getting into the insurance space in a future of autonomous cars, especially if you're an insurance company which is pivoting to or a brand new insurance company with a focus on semi-autonomous and eventually fully autonomous cars, I think that's going to be a pretty astonishingly huge space to get into. So maybe quit your day job now and dive into that head first. Hey there, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave me five stars on iTunes, and don't forget to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. All right, just a quick segment here to round out today's episode. Uh, a lot of discussion in the last several months, I say discussion, really, uh, rumors. Um, Ford and Volkswagen, it's not quite officially official yet, but it sure looks like it's about to get very real very soon. Uh, a partnership valued at something like $4 billion, the idea for Ford and Volkswagen to partner up and work on autonomous vehicles. I know several folks uh, have suggested this didn't make any sense, uh, notably uh, electric.co. Um, the idea being that these are both really huge companies. Why do they need to partner up? They can certainly do this on their own. But look, Volkswagen have said time and again, this is a really tricky thing to get right, building autonomous cars. And in fact, they've wanted to put together a consortium uh, amongst their compatriots in Germany to, well, really the idea is to, of course, pool resources, but uh, it's really to uh, get some sort of legal liability protection insofar as, hey, we've done things by the book. Here are the set of standards uh, for autonomous vehicles. As long as you conform to those standards, you're probably off the hook. So the, the point is, building autonomous cars, a really tricky thing to get right. I've said for a while that we grew up saying, oh, it's not rocket science. Henceforth, we're going to be saying, oh, it's not autonomous cars. It's much more difficult thing by at least many different metrics. So going forward, looking at Ford, obviously they've got Argo AI. Ford has already previously announced that they want to invest a billion dollars into Argo over the next five years. And going forward, this partnership then is to develop a sort of framework um, into which Volkswagen can contribute to the Argo uh, platform, both in terms of investment and, of course, in terms of development. As far as the companies themselves, I mean, this kind of makes a lot of sense. Volkswagen, of course, has a huge market penetration in Europe and elsewhere in the world besides. Um, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, aren't they the largest automaker in the world? Maybe kind of neck and neck with Toyota. Anyway, Ford, of course, huge presence here in the U.S., less so in in uh, Europe and beyond. So this just makes a lot of sense, really, from every vantage point, from every metric, really. So uh, again, not officially official quite yet, but it looks to be pretty imminent. All right, well, that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, that'll be Friday. Bye-bye.